uh, and then uh, we we needed uh, a chicken as well. And uh, Graham Norgate's chicken actually oh. is is the chicken in the game. You are listening to Beats and Weeps. Hello, you're listening to the Beats and Bleeps podcast. I'm your host, Anthony. Today, my guest is Ross Stragenza. Uh, how are you today, Ross? Very, very well, thank you. Um, can I apologise in advance? I, I, I did a gig with my band three days ago and I'm losing my voice a little bit, so I'm, I'm a little raspier than, than I normally would be. <laughs> I mean, it sounds fine to me, but also I don't generally know what you sound like normally. So. <laughs> <laughs> You've got no frame of reference. Yeah, so. exactly. I shouldn't have even said it. No, it's just your normal voice. <laughs> um, so I kind of start off with pretty much a very big question as to how you you got involved in music in general i know that you've got a lot of projects outside of video games and stuff and then how you ultimately came to work in in video games composing and doing um audio sound effects and things like that um yeah sure it's it was a funny situation really that uh video games and music were two sort of separate streams in my brain for a lot of my life um I got into writing music uh, in sort of my teens, as a lot of people do. And uh, then I had a band uh, when I was about 20. And then that carried on through to when I was about 30. And but I mean, at the same time, ever since I was a, a little kid, I've, I've loved video games, like starting on my Commodore all the way through to my Atari and then games consoles and stuff. Um, and while I love the music of those games, for some reason, <laughs> my brain didn't quite connect those <laughs> those two elements as, as like a viable thing that i could do and also it was i guess it wasn't we're talking about sort of you know um 15 20 years ago it, it wasn't so common to to know about the the creation of games and about the composers and stuff it was all very mystical and closed off so it all came down to um one day a, a gig with my band and uh, i met a guy backstage who was a fan of my band and he turned out to be uh, the composer graham norgate from who did uh, golden eye and time splitters and um i i was a much screamier bigger fan of him than he was of me <laughs> but we we became uh, good friends and and um uh learning from him about the games industry uh which eventually led to to me working in the games industry was that was my sort of avenue into that world so i mean i'm, I'm uh ever thankful of that because uh I'm sure it would have ended up there eventually, but that was the uh, the genesis of my, my my journey into video game music. Yeah, nice. I mean, Graham's like part of that trin- like not Trinity, but like collection of composers from Rare in the '90s, which yeah. outstanding and just blew things out of the water. So, yeah, especially like with the Golden Eye soundtrack, that's became like a big iconic thing. So that's really cool. I yeah. mean, you mentioned Time Splitters. Was that sort of the the first game? I think it's Time Splitters 2, the first game he kind of had any sort of involvement with. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Um, the So the first thing I did was um, I just did a remix of one track for um, Time Splitters 2, just for the end credits. Uh, but that was very popular with the fans, which was which was great. And um, uh, Graham gave me more opportunities on Time Splitters 3, and I wrote about six or seven, six, maybe six tracks for that. 
um and again that that music went down really well so um that just sort of escalated and escalated as as the games went on and I eventually became an in-house sound designer and composer for the for the company free radical design that was uh, releasing those games and then you know career's just gone from there really yeah cool i mean um with time splitters and just well just jake games in general you've come from a kind of band background was there much to learn in terms of writing for a game soundtrack rather than just writing a song or a track or something like that in terms of like looping and things like that um while there was i think there is more these days i think somebody coming uh directly from like a a band background would would find it a little bit more confusing uh these days because you get a lot more dynamic music in games it's broken into elements and layers uh, i mean it's all very familiar to musicians it wouldn't be long for them to, to catch up but back then it was still uh, much more of a traditional you, you you wrote the song they tend to be a little longer and a lot of like more like minimal bits in the middle just as not interrupting gameplay and stuff but it was still more of a traditional linear songwriting process back in the uh like the early 2000s and stuff yeah. whereas now it's 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 like pretty much standard uh, to, to write dynamic music where you'll be you think of it sort of holistically but it's still it's made up of very many individual elements and sections and layers and stuff so yeah it's um but i mean uh, dynamic music is something I've, I've been very passionate about for years now so i've i have no uh no problems with writing in that style i find it quite it's it's a ch- it's a challenge but it's a great challenge i guess that it kind of gives you a like more opportunities that aren't there with traditional sort of music so obviously especially recording music it's a to b that's it whereas a game it's almost yeah. almost like a performance with the game the way it feeds back the music through the system and stuff exactly yeah and um your music's a lot more alive with dynamic music in the game because whereas if you're i mean it's lovely if you can compose uh like a traditional linear piece and you get the the pleasure of you know um more traditional musical structure and everything which is lovely but with dynamic music there's the joy of um it changes on the fly to follow the 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 player's action so you get these sort of um just moments that arrive in the game where it all kind of comes together nicely and your music's just real part of a of a one-off moment for that one player so that's that's pretty special in its own right so i like both both types of writing yeah i mean also doing different things is stops things getting monotonous with just doing like exactly um (laughs) so in terms of i mean you've already mentioned time time splitters two and three but in terms of i'll kind of go through highlights some of the games worked on and talk about them so team sonic racing um obviously sonic being an iconic sort of thing working on that that was i think you did a couple of tracks for that and um, the just uh audio and things like that How, how did that come about in the first place was that through that um company um, you worked for uh that, so that was um I mean, that's obviously a lot more recent now time-wise because yeah. the free radical stuff was uh more than 15 years ago uh, now yeah. but th- this this was all about six or seven i don't know the timeline <laughs> getting old it's all a blur <laughs> um but um i was working at uh cloud Imperium in manchester who do uh the star citizen game very huge game and everything but um i needed a bit of a, of a life change i think i was a bit um just needed something different uh love that was a lovely studio to work for it wasn't a work related thing but um uh, uh one of the original directors of free radical 
uh, had started um, a like a satellite studio from Sumo Digital, which is um, uh, originally a Sheffield-based company, now hugely expanded. We've got loads of studios everywhere and stuff. But it was a, a dinky little studio at that point, and he needed an audio director, and they were working on Team Sonic Racing. And, um, you know, the opportunity to work on a Sonic game is just... Um, it, it's it's a real bucket list thing for yeah. for anybody in the games industry or as, or as a composer. So um, I joined as as uh, just the only audio guy at first on that, and uh, just doing all the the car engines and and um, sonic sounds and all that kind of thing. And um, uh, well, we had uh, Jun Senaway, Japanese composer, wrote the bulk of it and and um, did the audio, the music direction and everything. Um, all of that was the racing music. Some of it insanely fast. It was like 300 BPM tracks, <laughs> which is, it was, I mean, it's fantastic music, but crazy. But then we had this um, like sideline of like a sort of a, a narrative campaign aspect of the game where the music needed to be way calmer and um, nobody had written anything for it or thought about it. So I just took the opportunity and said, would you mind if I, if I just wrote the music for that part of the game? And he very kindly obliged. So I wrote like, um, it's eight, eight tracks for that. Uh, a more calmer than the usual Sonic stuff, but um, yeah, just being part of the Sonic universe is, I mean, amazing. <laughs> so happy. Yeah, it's definitely cool, and also like, I mean, Sonic as well does, even not as a racing game, has really high energy music. So yeah, yeah. I could just imagine like, I'm trying to think if I've played Team Sonic Racing. Is there's quite a lot of games sort of of that era that blend into yeah. one but yeah i can imagine like the racing part of it is equally as chaotic as uh, yeah i mean games. it was amazing music like really good it's got like that um sort of japanese jazz techno feel to it which is it's a very specific cool style of music i could never write that it's it's just not in my repertoire to write that kind of music so um him working with his you know the artists he was familiar with um like in like the, the japanese music scene was was fantastic but yeah like i say just being a little slightly peripheral part of it was was yeah amazing i mean in terms of um like obviously being a racing game a lot of the games you had worked up worked on up until then had been mainly like first person shooters so obviously there was yeah, that's um, right. obviously time splitters but then crisis uh two yep. and three and things like that so is that kind of a bit of a departure as well for something a bit lighter yeah it really was um yeah because like you say uh, my career to that point had been almost exclusively shooting games like i think at that point i'd made five games where you can stab someone in the neck which is, which is quite a lot i mean having said that i did just make the texas chainsaw massacre which is the ultimate in that. yeah but um, but um yeah uh doing something like bright and sunshiny and lovely like uh sonic was was a lovely departure and it was just it was perfect for me at the time and and just be a uh say that, that that difference from all the the dark shooters was was quite a welcome change at that point <laughs> oh, that's cool um i mean following on from like sonic racing in terms of the the style of a game um hotshot racing obviously was that the same studio yeah that's yeah. um sumo nottingham as well yeah so i guess and that was so, just like a continuation yeah, I mean, that, that was really uh, based on the, the learnings we had from Team Sonic, which we, we worked very hard on and, and was um, for a lot of us was our first uh, racing game. I think it was my first racing game. I guess it was. Um, but um, Hotshot Racing was one of those just lovely projects that just worked well from beginning to end. We, we didn't struggle too much with any technical problems. Um, uh, the, 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 
the guy because it was originally like a Kickstarter project. Yeah. Uh, we we worked with a a, a publisher. Uh, and the the guy who did the Kickstarter to make it, and uh, the the guy uh, Trev, uh, oh, I've got his last name. I'll have to have a look and send it to you after because <laughs> he's a lovely guy. But from Lucky Mountain Games, who did the Kickstarter, he was very good about me writing additional music for it. So I wrote the main theme and um, about uh, uh, ten tracks, I think, uh, for that one. Um, and that was fun because, uh, like I say, after listening to all that crazy uh, Team Sonic racing music, I did fancy trying my hand at like some some retro sounding, super speedy tracks. So yeah. uh, I had one track in particular I loved in that game that um, you just have to stay alive and avoid um, your car blowing up for as long as possible. So the song that I wrote from that starts at 60 BPM and ends up at almost 300 BPM, depending <laughs> on how long you last for. So that was a lot of fun. That's cool. Is that just like, so like time dependent, or it's like after like? Yeah, a it's just it, it was it was built in sections so that um, every time you got through a certain checkpoint, like the old like outrun and yeah. games like that, it would go to a new section that was slightly faster. So uh, got more and more like it's like a Commodore SID chip kind of track, but with like a rave feel to it as well. So nice. that was that was fun. <laughs> I can imagine that sort of. I mean, just the any game racing game that has checkpoints but then having music that does that with just like absolutely panic mode enabled while you do yeah. ah! <laughs> it's i really love it actually it's a lot of fun uh, it's cool because it's i it's sort of a bit of a, a throwback um i mean exactly, you, you yeah. mentioned outrun which i'm glad because i was kind of like when i've looked at it and watched videos and stuff it's like it's obviously a much more modern version but it's kind of that yeah. very similar sort of gameplay like quite yeah, it was, it was a, a deliberate, like, uh, stylized. It's, it's basically like how we remember those games as opposed to how they actually were. So it's like the, the visuals obviously are more updated, but yeah. it's designed to look like how we remember, like, the early Sega games and, and Outrun and, you know, all those kind of games, Super Hang On, stuff like that. Classics. I mean, in terms of the soundtrack, <laughs> was that sort of influences from those games as well? Oh, gosh, yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, I still have a cassette tape over there somewhere that I got free with um, Outrun on the Commodore 64. Like I was obsessed with the music from Outrun as as, as a kid, and um, I still am. It's still kind of my one of my earworms. Yeah, it's like screensaver music in my head. <laughs> I mean, the um, there's always like Super Splash Wave is just yeah. stuck in my head, and I'm pretty <laughs> sure I ended up on some like weird YouTube rabbit hole kind of thing and found a video of like because obviously back you know the commodore 64 version that mm. would have came out a similar sort of time as you know the arcade version was out and stuff because there were all the ports yeah. for it but it's like the different the audio uh the soundtrack from all the different versions and it's just like goes nice. progressively from like you know commodore 64 and stuff up until the the actual arcade one it's like, <laughs> oh, it's like amazing like in one ver one song from one one game how yeah. different it sounded for different people's experience but it still sounds amazing on all of them yeah loved it <laughs> yeah it's definitely a classic oh, i want to listen to that now um so following on from doing racing games then going back to stabby in the net games and shooty games <laughs> wolfenstein youngblood um obviously it's it's a wolfenstein game so again like yeah. like the sonic thing that's really fucking cool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. was that sort of a uh, um, when you got that opportunity? Like, uh... oh yeah, I, I was again like another one. It's it's a classic franchise. Um, that one came about. Um, 
because I was on like a, a, a forum with a load of game composers and um, somebody was saying, does anybody have any experience doing like remixes in an 80s pop style? Um, and I had a, a very weird, lovely experience of spending eight years of my life uh, about 15 years ago being in the 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 reformed version of the 80s pop band Visage that yep. did the song Fade to Grey with um, Steve Strange, who's no longer with us, sadly. Um, so um, I was very intimately familiar with 80s pop music because we, we did a lot of gigs with other like 80s pop bands and stuff like that. Um, so I replied to, uh, it turned out to be uh, Nick Rayner, who was the audio director at Machine Games at the time, who do Wolfenstein. And he was just looking for people. I've, I've done many, many, many remixes over the years and I was in an 80s pop band so he's like well i think we've got a winner <laughs> and um it turned out the uh, the job at hand was to take the music from the previous wolfenstein game which is like a 60s vibe um strip all the music out of it but keep the vocals of, for the songs and then rewrite a complete new bed under it that was like an alternate version of the 80s so and an alternate version of a lot of key 80s pop songs but recognizable enough that they feel familiar but but you know not at the point that's yeah, litigious that we're going to get yeah. sued for. So, um, so I had to do like one in the style of um, Blue Monday by New Order, one in the style of Fade to Grey by Visage, which was brilliant, and uh, and then like one in the style of Gary Newman and and Prince and things like that. And um, so I, oh, I was so happy. It was it was incredible fun, and um, it it went well. And like uh, uh, that was in the end what what grew into through it's what the games industry and composing and stuff is all about i think it's, it's it's always a if things go well and you you do a good job with it and you know you're communicative and stuff then it leads to other things because that there's a direct line from that to death loop which is which which uh, a huge success for me so um but yeah uh, wolfenstein was wonderful lovely project a uh, great team very friendly and um just making that 80s music was was just a, a treat i would have done it for free just don't <laughs> tell me that <laughs> say okay it's done now you don't <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just not for future reference you're not going to do yeah, it for future free reference it was, that was a one-off <laughs> <laughs> so in terms in terms of how um like the sort of because i know there was a few composers on on air wolfenstein youngblood buck never yeah. remember his name i know tom salter was one of the did some yeah, of the tracks. Tom salter. and uh, uh martin stig anderson as well one i couldn't remember yeah. i don't know how because it's kind of intrinsic with Wolfenstein, but yeah. Um, <laughs> but in terms of that, like the the songs you wrote, whereabouts did they kind of sit in the game? I know some um, in terms of like the gameplay mechanics and things. Um, yeah, weirdly, it's it's been a, a career long repeating theme of me writing uh, like diegetic music for games, where it's you know like placed in radios or or TV adverts and things like that. It's not something I've I've ever actively pursued. It's just weirdly that's where it's landed i don't know if that's just my style of music works well for that or if it's just a coincidence but uh, for this game that that was one of about four or five that i've done where that's the case where uh, my music was the, just the pop music in the game coming out of radios yeah. and, and speakers and stuff like that so i wasn't part of the um like the dynamic uh, core soundtrack i was i was always in world music uh, I mean, it's used in a few cutscenes and things as well for like some key moments. But um, yeah, uh, so Tom Salter and Martin Stig Anderson had the, the core work, and I was sort of this um, world-building layer, I guess you would say. Yeah, was it yourself that did the little in the lifts, the dancing music for that section, or was that yeah. one of the? Yeah, yeah. yeah that's like, all my music. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, I, I quite like that because obviously it's hyper violent. <laughs> 
you know, go around all and these. Like, and you're in a lift. Around, like, yeah. Idiots in a lift. It's, it's lovely. Like, it's a nice little nightclub lift moment. It's like that. <laughs> yeah. It just breaks yeah, those nicely. are my ones. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool. They're like very catchy as well. It's like perfect. Weirdly, not elevator music. Music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, composers love writing um, like cheesy music for um, elevators in games. <laughs> it can't help themselves. But but for this instance, because I didn't know they'd done that until the game came out. They just oh, okay. uh, they just did like a little high pass filter or something on it, made it a bit thinner, and and then put it in the elevators for those scenes where they're they're doing little dances together. <laughs> it's, it works really well. It's brilliant. It's. I mean, it kind of. I, I feel games that are very serious need a bit of lightness to them exactly, and stuff yeah. it and it's just perfect. it just kind of adds <laughs> that level to it i mean on, on the subject of i can't remember the word that you use but like the gate the music that's in the actual game like the, uh, the, diegetic that's it yeah. i mean cyberpunk 2077 your kind of role in that was right in music for tv ads and yeah billboards and things in the game so i mean i think i think reading your website was 170 sort of jingles you did in... yeah i think it was 130 but i'm worried that every time i tell people i'm adding 10 more to it <laughs> <laughs> um, it was a lot anyway um and um my my main brief from uh, Martin, the audio director, was was to make sure that everyone felt like it was from a different composer so so, <laughs> so it was it was uh it was great. I mean, it was an amazing musical challenge, and I love a musical challenge. But every time I finished one, I would sort of throw those instruments out the window and say, "Okay, now we're going to do flute and bass and uh, I don't know and moog." And then that one would go out, and then we do uh, what we can do. We can do brass and sort of bongos. <laughs> the, the instruments got more and more obscure as as, as the the time went on. Um, the the very last one I did the I guess the hundred thirtieth or whatever the final number was, I wrote at about three in the morning, just absolutely exhausted and a bit tired <laughs> and emotional, and it's it's really weird and um, I guess I like it I don't know it's just odd but um, that's the one that appears most in the game it's all over the place you can't escape it anywhere in the game <laughs> so it's not the one I would have chosen but it is it is quite it works well in the soundscape of the game anyway yeah. I mean, in terms of like the actual context of the adverts, it's, I mean, Cyberpunk 2077 is a very futuristic kind of, but like a lot of the adverts are just that sort of hyper stupid futuristic weirdness. Yeah. And it's like, I mean, did you, did you kind of like feel you could be a bit, a bit ridiculous with some of them just because of the context of it? Yeah, I mean the 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 adverts themselves were were very. Uh, I mean, obviously the the whole context is very sort of satirical, and they're, they're, a lot of them very like sort of sexualized or satirical in different ways and stuff like that. But always sort of very bright, often very violent, very sexual and stuff. Um, so I think that I tried to make the music reflect that. Um, I was also because they sent me like early shots of the game and how it would be laid out and stuff, and I knew that like Blade Runner, like there'll be places where it would be deliberately um, very, very um, uh, sort of overlaid with a load of them playing at the same time. So I tried to avoid sort of heavy dirgy music and make sure the music was very dynamic and was always moving somewhere so that when they layer, they're all doing something. It doesn't become a horrible you know, block of noise that that's ruining the gameplay. Yeah. Um, which is a fun challenge. And um, that's a, 
this the whole thing about writing diegetic music for games now something i've learned that you need to keep it very sort of transparent and um keep the music moving because uh quite often not only there might be like two two of the tracks close to each other but then there's also there's the game world and dialogue and um and the actual music of the game might be playing at the same time and weirdly your brain can kind of sort the diegetic music from the the soundtrack but you want to do what you can to keep them away from each other a little bit so it was a fun set of challenges yeah i mean in terms of like the actual um implementation in like the game thing i guess you don't get involved much in like the code inside of it and like wis and things like that or is that just kind of um no no i mean uh for, for that kind of stuff uh, as an external composer you tend to be sort of a couple of steps removed um which i mean i'm, I'm a bit of a control freak for, for like the stuff that i do like in-house with sumo digital i like to be i mean i play the games that i work on i, I play constantly every day and make sure it's all sounding good and tweak endlessly and stuff but if you're doing freelance work you have to accept that someone else is going to implement that for you and you don't get the final say in where it's placed and how it's going to sound but uh, i mean the cyberpunk team were lovely and the um, audio code was done by an old friend of mine uh, colin walder who, who first worked at free radical with me back in uh, back in the day so um I knew it was in safe hands. They're, they're a very talented team. Yeah. But, um, you have to have faith in them, really. And it's it's, it's not your responsibility in the end. You have to hand them... As much as I'd like to just be a little fuss pot and keep seeing how it sounds, you have to hand the music over eventually. Yeah, you have to let your baby be free in the world. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, so carrying on, you mentioned uh, with some of the games you've worked on, you mentioned um, Deathloop already. Obviously, kind of nominated for quite a few awards as well, especially the... The various parts of the audio and the soundtrack and in, in that got a lot of praise i mean i can remember it being one of the standout things for myself i know it's quite a few of the yeah. composers involved i mean is that the diegetic kind of side of it again that you were involved yeah. in yeah again I, I don't know why i'm always the diegetic <laughs> music guy but uh, i i often am and uh, i was again in this case uh so for that one uh tom salter who i'd worked with on um Wolfenstein was again was the main composer for the uh, dynamic game music, and then it was uh, me and Eric Talaber who wrote the the diegetic music for this one. So I did the um, sort of uh, like sixties, seventies sounding, and then sort of eighties and experimental sounding music. And Eric Talaber did some great sort of more like bluesy, um, acoustic-y feeling tracks. So kind of it, our, our two sort of sets of music worked nicely together. Um, and that that one was um, uh, a, a great one in terms of direction because, you, I mean, there can be a wide range of different kinds of audio directors or publishers and things in terms of you know, getting feedback on the track. Uh, and I think that the worst stuff you can get is people that just say, no, I, I, I don't like that and, and make you go away and do something else. Uh, and the best ones you can get were like in this case the audio director uh michelle trent mollier he was he was um uh gave very incredibly precise feedback but not in a dickhead way it was yeah. just it was a very nicely presented feedback and then i would do that and he's like yep that's it that sounds great and um so i, I think that helped from him really um like elevated those tracks because uh it was a lot of it was like sort of psychedelic rock and stuff that i liked as a you know listener but i hadn't actually written a lot myself so it was a bit of a learning curve on that but i was super happy with the results of death loop 
so kind of kind of touched on like feedback and stuff in in terms of like when someone comes to you and goes we need six tracks for these situations yeah i guess and you kind of get like a oh like a 60s 70s psychedelic rock do you get like any sort of like i mean probably know them anyway but like any sort of like band suggestions or any or anything like that for to work from or do you just prefer like being told a genre and a situation and going from there and I, I always I'd like the direction to be as specific as possible because whoever's giving you that direction has got something in mind and yeah. if they don't give you specifics then even if you write really good music it might just be something completely off the mark of what what they had in their head and and they may just say and which has happened plenty of times like no that's not right you can have to start so sometimes I just have to you know, drop kick that track into the sea and start again with a new one. <laughs> um, so um, people providing like references of songs that that, that are uh, uh, close to what they're looking for or like um, yeah really tight feedback uh, to start with is incredibly helpful. And it just stops that that mystery element of sending the track off and then are they going to love... Sometimes I've thought it's been you know, one of my best tracks and they'll clearly hate it. And other times I thought, I don't even know if I like this. And I send it off and they're like, wow! <laughs> so <laughs> you just, you just, it's hard to predict. So the more feedback, the better. That makes sense. Um, in terms of in terms of like where you're in that situation where you're working on a game with multiple different composers, is that something you kind yeah. of you just kind of sit in isolation and feedback to the main the Tom Salter in this instance, and then he kind of makes decisions from there. Or do you kind of like get together to kind of make sure you're not you're kind of keeping him with a the theme? I know obviously the whole idea is that you had very different styles anyway. It's um, in that case, it, as an external freelance composer, it's it's really um, up to the audio director to um, to do that. He's he's the the conductor in that situation, yeah. really, like figuring out who sounds whose music sounds like what. And they they may be providing me certain feedback because one of the other composers' music is clashing or the, or too similar or something like that. But um, I had no um, uh, uh, conversations with with tom or eric at all during okay. death loops production it was only when it came out we you know, said lots of nice things to each other and, <laughs> and when the when the awards were we were up for the awards come on guys <laughs> but um uh yeah that's 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 the the role of the audio director really to, to handle that yeah okay. that makes sense um so continuing on and i think your most recent released uh, game you've worked on the release um i think two weeks ago now yeah uh, something like that two or three weeks ago texas chainsaw massacre so how did that come about obviously it's an iconic film yeah. if like one of if not the best horror film so to work on yeah. a game must have been quite the thing yeah i mean i'm 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 a huge horror nerd i mean uh if if i could pan the camera around you'd see like horror, <laughs> horror memorabilia all over here and it was that was long before texas chainsaw um so uh, uh gun interactive the publisher uh they're, they're quite an un- unusual company in that they have like a like a small core team that then finds a developer and instead of the the usual sort of hands-off uh role that that publishers have where you just sort of present to them every now and then and, and they're all kind of just money men that don't i mean I, uh, actually any publishers that heard that i didn't mean that you're all lovely <laughs> <laughs> but um, no uh gunner um Gun were very different in that they're very creative and very hands-on in a way that was actually excellent all the way through the the process. Um, uh, each of their core members 
um, have been sort of involved in the art and the music and the design in, in a day-to-day -day way uh, that is very unusual for a publisher. But, um, yeah, it's, it's been fantastic. They just, we, we got the gig, uh, Sumo Nottingham, uh, my development team got the gig uh, about three years ago now. I actually screamed with joy in the studio when, when it was announced because it, it was a big day for me. I'm a huge horror nerd and... Uh, um, yeah, it was amazing. I, I didn't know at that point if I was going to be able to compose for it or not, because sometimes you'll come on board on a project and they've, they've, they've got some people they've worked with previously. But um, I did like some first musical tests and things like that uh, to see if they were keen on where I was going with it and got a little direction from Wes Keltner, the uh, the CEO of the company, who's very, very involved in the, the music process uh, to the point that he contributed like stuff to the music. Um, and uh, they liked it. I think we, we gelled quite quickly and um, then spent three years getting utterly, utterly obsessed with it. <laughs> it's been it's been my my I, I, I dream about it. Uh, I wake up in the morning thinking about it. I've got a massive chainsaw tattooed on my leg. I've got a an actual chainsaw from the film over there. Like I've, I've, I've gone really wrong. <laughs> 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 but um, I love it, and um, it's been uh, out of all all the work that I've done in video games, this has been my um, yeah uh, blood, sweat, and tears, but a real, real passion. I, I'm and I'm so happy that it's been so well received, and the music and the sound design gets a lot of mentions in the press and stuff. So couldn't be happier. So in terms in terms of the soundtrack, was that majority you as the lead composer on on Texas Chainsaw? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm the only composer. Okay. So, so I, I did 100% uh, of the music and like 98% of the sound design. So it's been, uh, it's just been. Oh, I mean, but with the assistance of um, uh, guys in my audio team helping to test it and fix bugs, and uh, an amazing audio coder whose audio coders are like unicorns in the games industry, quite <laughs> hard to find, and a good one like my one, Eugene Cherney, is, is absolutely amazing. So it's only because I've had that great supporting team around me that i've been able to spend the time making sure it's good so uh but it's been day in day out for for three years i've been listening to screaming pigs and scraping metal and <laughs> it's i mean i have a lot of nightmares but um who knows if that's connected <laughs> it may be but also who knows um who knows? In, ter in terms of um kind of going back to like the it being a already very well established thing did you did you try and like not want it to try and word this question right not want it to remind of the film soundtrack as much and be its own thing as or kind of it's, reference it yeah it's, it, it was very difficult because it it needs to be both of those really um like i was i was i wanted it to definitely remind people i wanted it to be immediately reminiscent of the film but sort of expand on its own language that 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 was something a little bit different and a little bit new without going so far away from from the source material that that it felt wrong so i think we did well it took a long time to to find that language uh but uh yeah i i, I speak that language well now i think I've, I've been writing music for it for a long time um but um yeah the, the first bits of music I tried writing for it were a bit, sounded a bit too modern, a bit too like sort of Nine Inch Nailsy, uh, yeah. just like aggressive industrial, which is, I mean, I, I love that sort of music. So that was kind of a go-to, but um, yeah, it, it needed to um, push back into that seventies direction. So I did a lot of um, 
uh, research of like the the kind of work that Wayne Bell, the original composer, did for it. And a lot of it was like a music concrete style, where he was bringing in like um, just sound, random sounds that were caused tension, like rattling chains and screaming, uh, squealing pigs and human screams and like really experimental stuff. So I realized I had to take it up a notch with the being more experimental. So got very much into like the modular yep. stuff. Uh, so uh, a lot of the modular uh, s- uh, systems that I have are sort of based around uh, sort of like tape simulation and um, sample mangling and things like that. So even some of the um, the the tracks, a lot of the layers in the game, uh, I will have taken like just some squealing pigs or screams and things like that and then run them into the modular and then through tape effects and stuff like that so that and then let, let it just run on its own and then just cut all the best bits together so so the end result it's it's uh there's a lot of common elements now there's definitely there's a lot of like time stretch human screams because that's got a that sort of uncanny valley feel to it that yeah. it's, if it's in there part of your your brain is telling you there's a scream happening but it's not quite right and pigs are uh, like squealing is just it's a distressing sound but again you can like reverse it or pitch it down and it becomes slightly uh it falls into this area where it still causes tension but yeah. you don't really know why and then like like scraped metal and a lot of that sort of stuff i was got a um a great uh like synth thing called a, a soma lira uh from a, a russian uh small synth manufacturer and it's like a touch sensitive thing that you just press down with your fingers on metal plates and it's just terrifying howls <laughs> oh that sounds lovely <laughs> yes yeah i've become a real connoisseur of um weird instruments and of course the um the weirdest and most uh, iconic instrument in it was uh wes countner the ceo uh, he got a, an apprehension engine which if, if anybody uh fancies having a look it's it's quite a thing to look into you'll be able to find some videos on youtube about it um it was a handmade instrument originally made for the composer mark corvin who, who did the films uh the lighthouse and the witch it's basically just a box of things that invoke terror it's like a huge wooden box with sticks coming off it and like a spring tank and um a hurdy-gurdy and other stuff and everything on it is designed to invoke fear it's absolutely amazing <laughs> that sounds like something i want to see but also not sure i want to see <laughs> yeah it's 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 um it's a terrifying sound once you've um heard some examples of it like if you listen to the soundtrack of the game you'll hear yeah. that it's it's present in about two-thirds of the tracks of the game uh so it's it's it sounds great it's just really gets it gets to some sort of part of your brain that causes fear and tension immediately <laughs> yeah, that sounds I mean, it's a perfect game for it to be used. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's quite a niche object, but it was perfect for this. <laughs> and in, ter- in terms of, like, obviously the sort of gameplay and the way the music and the sound, I'm guessing quite a lot of the sort of sound effects were part of the atmosphere in the game as well. Like, I mean, for the clips I've watched, like, obviously the footsteps and stuff makes a big yeah. atmosphere part of it. It was that kind of, like part of the thinking with the music as well that you have to allow that sort of thing to be able to breathe not have everything too the yeah. music too constant it was it's a tricky one uh for lots of reasons uh first of all like in in the film it was very all or nothing with the music a lot of time there would be long stretches without any music whatsoever and then yeah. the music would go absolutely bonkers uh so i kind of wanted that a little bit but um 
I mean, I, I had the luxury for, for this project of, of you know doing both myself. So uh, it meant that I could I could balance all like the ambient sounds and like the music and the ambient sound and other aspects of the game. They're pretty much all one big canvas, really. The distinction isn't as uh, um, you know, there's no line in the middle like you, you'd normally get for like here's the soundtrack here's the game because there's parts of the game where just in in like the caves and tunnels there's just basically uh ambient music tonal stuff playing just emitting from spots in the walls and like uh, percussive sounds and and like fake footsteps uh, sort of built into the walls that sound like someone's nearby when they're not and stuff like that so it's it's all one big one big huge lump of horror basically (laughs) (laughs) so it should be I mean, it's, I'm guessing that's like go back to the uh, uh, Wolfenstein, like the comic relief bit. I'm guessing Texas Chainsaw Massacre does not have that. There is no no comic relief. <laughs> no, no. Uh, I, 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 I've tried to design the music to just uh, while it's uh, it, it follows the action. So like uh, if if uh, uh, one of the, the, the terrifying family are nearby, then the music will swell up. Um, and then it will subside again if if nothing's going on and let the ambient sounds breathe and things. But there's also a slow escalation all the way through the game that you're not really aware of that, that lasts over 15 minutes that gets slowly, it'll be swelling up and swelling up and swelling up and then comes to a big sort of finale of just terrifying, unavoidable music at the end. But um, the film was really relentless and, and you know, uh, and harrowing was was definitely a word for the film. It just it never let up. So I wanted to make sure that you you just felt exhausted once the game was over. <laughs> and we play games for fun. And <laughs> yeah, I know it's it's weird because I I play it to relax and I watch people play it to relax. But it's it's I mean my my hands are shaking and sweating while I'm playing it. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. I mean, I, I guess it like you you now it's released. You still play it lots or. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm I mean now I can finally play it with with friends and family and stuff so I, I get to hear them screaming which is funny. <laughs> in in terms of the stuff like hey uh, you mentioned like the sampling the squealing pigs and stuff were they just samples that were available that you purchased or obtained or there did you go out and do some field recordings and stuff or um it's a mixture really. I mean uh there's the the stuff that I obviously um yeah like anyone in the industry I've got huge amounts of, of sample libraries that uh, so I had a, a huge amount of content to draw from for for the for the more you know the stuff I wouldn't want to record myself like <laughs> terrified pigs yeah <laughs> I don't really want to be involved in that um but there were especially during lockdown uh, I would just wander around the house and pick things up and try scraping them with other things basically <laughs> uh, I I got like a bit of sheet metal and uh, i would hit i would scrape that with salad spoons to see how it sounds so i just collected any object hitting or scraping any other object and used a lot of that content uh and then uh, we we needed a, a chicken as well and uh graham norgate's chicken actually oh. is is the chicken in the game uh, not the distressed chicken we had that had to be library chicken sounds but the the casual chicken if anybody's playing the game that is the the, the actual chicken of uh, famous composer graham norgate from uh, golden eye and perfect dark and time splitters does it get a, a credit in the in the end game credits oh well we didn't want it to get too big of a head yeah, and, and uh, you know it, it'll be charging more for its next role so yeah that that's true <laughs> Uh, so st- stepping back from from the uh, games themselves, I mean, you kind of alluded to a lot of sort of 
equipment and things you've used then i'm guessing as well with like the variety of games and sounds you do you don't really have a set sort of sound you go for or process you kind of it would depend on the game like you know you don't always just go for an all synthesized thing you know no not really i mean um uh i think i've, I've done an, enough sort of, of a variety of different types of music that i have a good cross-section of things um like any composer i'm sure I've, I've got things i'm better at than others um but i i have enough like core equipment generally to be able to start anything and if it's in a bit of a niche direction i haven't done before then i'll research and, and buy things i need and stuff but um uh just here in my my home studio i have sort of a guitar section synthy modular section and then over there crazy instrument section um but uh uh, my go-to's till un unless it's very experimental music like um texas chainsaw was i still tend to just open cubase uh open like a basic piano like the arturia piano that's very light on its feet and sounds nice and i just start from from a few chords or a little melody and then build up from there which is i, I find the most pleasurable way to to start a track um so that tends to be the starting point but um other than that i'd uh I, I try not to, to rely on, um, you know, uh, previous knowledge too much because you can get yourself in a rut of using the same the same equipment, the same instruments, the same chord progressions and things like that. And it could be, I think you have to push yourself out of that and make sure you're still doing what the brief requires, not just doing what you know you're good at. Because yeah. um, you, you don't get any, any better by doing the, your same old box of tricks every time. That makes sense um so kind of, kind of i mean you've you've again another thing you've mentioned uh, a few a few sort of influences and things is there any sort of major influences music wise in your life that made you uh, bands composers or that made you really want to go for a career in music in general um david bowie i think well in fact i think i've got yep i've got david bowie t-shirt on right yep. now <laughs> um yeah, I mean, uh, well, when I was younger, Nine Inch Nails, I think, were the, uh, were the first band I, I loved with with a, a crazy passion. And I still do love Trent Reznor's work and, and, and his um, soundtrack work and stuff that he does now. But David Bowie has been the, um, the, 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 the long-standing constant influence on my music and, and um, uh, that sort of variety and, and sort of musical bravery to, to jump into something new and just give it a go even if it's a genre he didn't know about um it's been a huge influence on me and and uh i think made me understand how important it is to, to give different types of music a go and and just try it because music's not you know it's not there's no gatekeeping in music like you can do anything you want and you can yeah. mix any genres together which is something he did so that was a that was a huge influence on me that's nice I mean, in terms of, I mean, this may be a bit of a a personal question in terms of things, but like, were you, when David Bowie was kind of more active, like um, 70s, 80s, was that sort of when you were growing up as well? So did it kind of correlate with that time or are you after that? Have I misinterpreted your age? <laughs> no, no. I um, um, So I think I knew, I knew vaguely of him growing up, but um, it wasn't until there was an actual day, in fact, that I still remember when I was about uh, 14 or 15. I was reading a guitar magazine with uh, an interview with Trent Reznor, who's uh, from Night Nails, talking about David Bowie. And I suddenly thought, I know that name. My parents have got a David Bowie cassette in the front room. So I went running out and got it, brought it back, put it in my cassette player and heard Space Oddity. I thought, brilliant. I love this music. 
and um yeah my sentiment hasn't changed at all since that that first that first moment so it wasn't really until about sort of 92 93 yeah. or something like that that i really got into him but then it was lovely because at that point there was a there was a wealth of albums for me to to listen to and yeah all these different styles it was it was just um it was a pleasure to like dig into the backtrack i mean i've got like um uh one of the i'm sure many david bowie um greatest hits and it's even just listening through that like the amount of ground it covers genre wise and stuff yeah. is just incredible and it's like i've i've not even I, I mean i don't feel i'm still emotionally ready to listen to like the i can never remember what his like last album was but i know it's uh, a very dark and it's, it's, uh, it's written on my fingers oh okay <laughs> it says bowie and the black star logo on my fingers ah cool <laughs> um yeah i don't i don't like so i know it's quite dark so obviously it's about um the how yeah, things he went through and stuff and it's like i'm still not sure if i'm emotionally ready for it <laughs> yeah it's a bit of a rough listen even yeah. now i agree <laughs> um so we kind of continue on from like uh your your favorites and things we're going to the quick fire questions where okay. i will ask you your favorite of something and hopefully you'll have a favorite or several favorites <laughs> which it normally ends up being um we'll start off with your your favorite video game of all time I mean, that's very hard. I've played a lot of video <laughs> games for a lot of years. Um, I think some standouts for me, uh, the Rockstar ones, are, there's just, there was so much to learn um, from them for me because I think as we got into like uh, GTA 4 and 5 and stuff, that was the point where I was starting to get an understanding of, of uh, music and video games. So like systemically, I, I was learning a lot while I was playing those. And um, Red Dead Redemption, I think, is, is the, the best sort of nexus of all of that because the, I love the music in Red Dead Redemption uh, 1 and 2. But um, also, it, uh, I was starting to realise there are systems in play that as you move to different parts of the world, the music was changing dynamically. And also the music was fading out every now and then to allow the ambient sounds to have some breathing space. So once I think I was starting to get enough of an understanding of, of uh, audio for games that I could appreciate how that sounded um and they're just phenomenal games yeah um i mean there's there's plenty of others as well uh i was a huge fan of manhunt which was just a a a, a ri ridiculously uh, gory uh sort of horror game that but had a really good sort of um 80s slasher vibe to it yeah which is really cool uh i'd love if they made another one of those um and then there's a lot of um early 80s games that we we touched on briefly that that are, are very close to my heart like uh like outrun the last ninja um, you know uh space harriers stuff like that and then and then the the early 90s late 80s arcade side scrollers i was a huge fan of like altered beast bad dudes versus dragon ninja double dragon all those kind of games so i'm sorry that was about 15 games <laughs> it'll it, it's fine they're all iconic as well i mean i've now <laughs> now you've mentioned double dragon i've got the double dragon theme tune in my head so yeah. that's i'm gonna have to go and listen to that in a minute um <laughs> i mean again again it's kind of like it covers there's two sides of it there's obviously the the ones from you know growing up but also ones that maybe were educational in exactly, in terms yeah. of that i mean yeah i think i think going back to um the sort of like gta 4 and 5 but then red dead redemption talking about like the audio systems i think grand theft auto games you probably don't notice them as much because you've just got the the radio in the car and that's 
primarily what most people think of for the for the sort of like yeah. game audio whereas like obviously red dead redemption you don't have a radio on a horse that <laughs> often so yeah it's kind of like more more willed ambient music and rather than yeah. like the sort of diegetic music in the game i've learned something yes. <laughs> <laughs> um and again, uh, the next of the quick fire questions you may have already answered, but your favourite band slash composer slash musician? Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's got to be Bowie. Um, uh, in terms of composers, uh, I mean, in terms of like just bands, it's it's always going to be Bowie, and then Nine Inch Nails. After that, there's yeah. a few other bands that had an influence on me as well, but those two were uh, Nick Cave uh, and um, and Warren Ellis, but. Um, in terms of composers, it's, it's a slightly different list. Um, although, having said that, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis and <laughs> Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross are high on that list. Um, Johanny Hansen, um, who wrote the music for um, Arrival and Sicario, um, he was a phenomenal composer. A huge loss when he passed away, but I was I was so sad that we wouldn't be getting another you know forty years of music from him. Yeah. But um, he was a, a big influence at the point where I realised I wanted to push into composing a lot more. Uh, and uh, composer Clint Mansell as well, who. Um, he was great for me because he's came. He's older than me, but has had a, a, a similar career path. He was um, he was in the industrial band Pop Will Eat Itself, yeah. and um, and then got into composing with with no, because I, I I can't read music. I have no classical training in music, so uh, to have someone with that similar, just you know from down and dirty doing gigs in, in the industrial scene to, to writing like Black Swan and things like that. It's um, It was inspiring for me to, to know that that is an option. So he was a big influence as well. <laughs> oh, sorry, that was um, at six o'clock every day. Uh, my cats get fed and so they know it's time for dinner. The Laughing Gnome by David Bowie plays. <laughs> Fair enough. It's Pavlovian <laughs> conditioning. It works really well. <laughs> um, I mean, going back to uh, just the composers, uh, Clint Mansell, that you mentioned, like one of the only few sort of... So I'm originally from Coventry. Only sort of claim to fame is that that's where he was from as well. <laughs> it's like, uh, it's one of the only good things about being from Coventry, as I can mention him. There are many good reasons before lots of people have a go at me for that, but yeah. <laughs> I, know, Covent- I, I like Coventry. It's got lots got, of nice things for it. I feel just if you live in the same place long enough, you grow to be a grumpy person and local <laughs> newspapers. You got the specials. I mean, the specials oh, that's were true, Coventry, yeah. weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. <laughs> I mean, it's also like, um, not necessarily Coventry, but like if you go slightly outside where you go like Saiho, you've got Napalm Death and then obviously Black Sabbath from Birmingham and stuff. So Nice, yeah. yeah. There's good music from the area. Yeah. It's just pretty much all that happens now is everyone goes on about the indie band, The Enemy, and it's like, ugh. <laughs> uh. Well, yeah. I'm, I'm from uh, uh, right down at the bottom of Cornwall near Penzance, so the only famous musician we have is um, uh, Richard James from Aphex Twin, really. Yeah. But he's pretty cool. He's very cool. I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he bought a tank and a submarine at one point, which is... Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, <laughs> just cool. So, so continuing on your uh, the quick fire questions, your favourite game soundtrack? Yeah, that's that's a very tricky one. Um, I think um, 
journey stood out to me because it was just so strikingly beautiful that yeah. um even though everything about the game journey was strikingly beautiful the music was was so like emotive and and powerful that it, that uh even in in that situation of enjoying that game i was i was very conscious of, of how beautiful that soundtrack was um so i would say that one and i would have to say um time splitters just because the original one like before i knew graham like uh my friends and i we would play that game just obsessively all day long and we loved it so much that 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 music was just living rent free in our heads (laughs) all the time so uh even though we're we're now friends and everything that soundtrack is just it evokes such memories of like happy times sitting playing that game so i think those two what one yeah they're they're a nice combo i think yeah (laughs) I mean, Journey is just when people when people kind of go on. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. It's like, oh, I'm sure it's not. And it's like, oh, they were right. It is actually just amazing <laughs> in every way. And it's just, yeah, just yeah, run out of, some... yeah, run out of things to say about it. Um, <laughs> and then in in um, keeping in a soundtrack theme, your favorite film and or TV soundtrack. Um, well, yeah, actually, I think, I mean, touching back on Johan Johansson, I think um, uh, there's a couple of moments in, like, the there's a track, I think the track's called The Beast in Sicario by Johan Johansson, but it's that one with that sort of gliss cello line that's kind of, yeah. and it's just so beautiful and iconic and terrifying. Um, and then he, he sort of followed that up in Arrival uh, in the part of the film when, without spoiling it for anyone like uh they're going into a place where some things are that, that is kind of terrifying <laughs> that's really good vagueness wasn't it yeah um but um i don't even know what it is i'm listening to i think it's just sort of a sort of slight like aleatoric rise of the whole orchestra i think he must have just told them to rise in their own time or something but it's it's terrifying and evocative and um i really love it when people can use traditional orchestration to do stuff that sounds alien or just really visceral and and emotive so yeah i think those two soundtracks those those moments in that uh standouts for me nice i mean they're both i want to say good but it's not really the the best (laughs) they're better than good um yeah but yeah better than good better than good I feel I feel like the bank holiday weekend has just absolutely battered yeah. my brain, and it's the words have gone. It's like I'm scraping round for for adjectives and things. Um, and the, the final one of the quick fire questions: your favourite individual track or song from a game soundtrack? Um, again, that's very tricky. Uh, there's. There's one that's that's um, see I, I would have said it, but it's people have referenced it to, back to me so many times over the years um, that it's almost a cliche now. But like placing uh, like licensed music in games, like if you, if you pick your moment, then it can it can be really powerful. Like uh, and there was in Red Dead when you travel from the north to the south, and I've forgotten who it was. Oh, unbelievable. I want to say Julio Iglesias, but that's not right, I don't think. But there's a beautiful sort of uh, Spanish guitar and vocal track as you travel from one part of the map to the new part that opens. Yeah. And um, uh, that's that's been a huge influence in the games industry. Like, whenever we do games, uh, people say, like, hey, maybe we could do a cool, like, uh, licensed music track for that part. 
but then they also find out how much it costs to use licensed music in video <laughs> games. And that usually goes out the window again. It's, it's, it's never cheap. But um, I do love it when people do that. Like, if you pick your moment, and if it's a game that doesn't have a lot of licensed music, I mean, obviously, games like GTA, it's it's core to the experience. But uh, if you've got, like, a more standard, uh, like, narrative game, and then you pick one moment to have, have a, a beautiful track like that, then it can have a huge amount of impact. I think they used it quite well in uh, Death Stranding as well. They would occasionally pick uh, moments, key moments, where they knew you would be passing into a like a beautiful scene and stuff. And they had some great tracks by people like Churches and stuff like that that landed really nicely. So, yeah, yeah, if you I, pick your moment, it can be really powerful. I can think of like a few examples where that's that's done in some. I mean, I think there was Final Fantasy Fifteen where. Uh, completely mm. forgot the artist, but they've got the stand by me, da da da. One in, I think uh, it's that Bill one. Withers? Yes, I don't know why I forgot that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, this is where I, it's completely the wrong song, and now it's not that moment, and it's like <laughs> it wasn't that memorable. But yeah, <laughs> it's like I, f- I feel like obviously like yeah, the ground like Grand Theft Auto one where it is, and like those games where it is very heavy on the licensed music, but then especially especially where there's games where it's majority of the soundtrack is instrumental and then you've got yeah. one sort of really heavy hitting piece with like very yeah. memorable lyrics and stuff like that it can can have a really big impact also i feel if it's well, a song people know it can the impact of the familiarity of that can be really good i, th- I think um we're in a really good time for uh choices of instrumentation in in video game soundtracks as well because we kind of went through a dry period where it was all pretty sort of generic bombastic uh orchestral stuff that i mean obviously no disrespect to orchestral music that has got a huge range to it but there was a period in sort of like the 2010s around that sort of time where everything was starting to sound very similar like sort of hybrid with a bit of like big like trailery sounding stuff and some orchestral but um and then we've had games like last of us that i think have really broken through that uh you know using gentle spanish guitar uh all the way through a game that's incredibly violent and depressing was was a genius choice because it just sounds beautiful it does i mean and obviously the soundtrack that was used in the the film at uh, the film the tv series as well like yeah. using the predominant side of that but again placing some um some licensed music and things in that as well exactly, yeah uh, so it's really really cool and <laughs> yeah i mean i think i think going back to what you're saying about like the oversaturation of orchestrated game soundtracks of that mm. time it's like it's just always like because people could have that in a game and like game studios had the budgets and things for the first time it then became that yeah just every every soundtrack had like a very big sort of film orchestrated soundtrack mm-hmm. and it's like it's nice but it didn't need to yeah be that. it became a go-to but it became to the, it got to the point where it was kind of wallpaper and if, if everyone's doing it then you know no one might as well do it really it's yeah. just so i'm pleased we broke through into like all kinds of like interesting directions for modern game music so it's a real heyday for game music i think it is there is lots going on and i mean just the fact that doing this podcast the variety of people's backgrounds and what music they mm-hmm. make and stuff is amazing just like you know obviously you've got people that have came from an like an industrial music some people that have came from a very classical background and obviously making very yeah. different music but still with the same end goal 
yeah, there's, there's room for everyone and there's room for all kinds of music. And I'm just happy that we're all so varied in, in what, we're, what we're producing for games. It's much better for the end, the end user and listener. Yes, I am doing a podcast because it's that good. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so we've covered your sort of uh, career up to up to today. I mean, is there anything you're currently working on that you're allowed to talk about, or anything outside of games music that you've got coming up? Um, there's other things I've done. That unfortunately, I can't say about yet, but. Um, uh there'll be things <laughs> if you um if you if you want to people want to follow me on on you know twitter and and youtube and stuff like that then um when when the time comes you you, you won't be able to stop me talking about them uh but um it's all been about the texas chainsaw recently and um uh at the moment it's out and um, we're just making sure that we're doing like plenty of like pr work and stuff like that and also just um we're our priority is just fixing any issues with it. So, uh, you know, while we're doing other things, our, our priority by far is making sure that the audio for the game, we're just playing it every day now, making sure we haven't forgotten anything, that there's no bugs and stuff, because that's the last thing we want at this point. So it's, it's a funny time for me because it's all been leading up to this this one moment for the last few years. So um, there's other stuff happening and um, I'll, I'll be moving on to other games and other freelance projects over time. but. Yeah, it's if you haven't listened to the soundtrack, it's it's um it's on um, Spotify and Apple Music and stuff like that. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm very proud of it. So yeah, if people want to listen to it, then <laughs> please do. It's it's uh, I think it's the best thing I've done probably. So yeah, I mean, it's got has it got a vinyl release as well coming or happened? yes, uh, it's out. Yeah, it's uh, uh, I'm I'm waiting for mine to arrive now. Um, uh, Waxworks. Uh, vinyl who do uh, a lot of the they do like a lot of the main horror game uh, films and things like that this is actually the first video game they, they've done the vinyl for oh cool um and the um on the the week of release their two main vinyls that week that they did were barbie and my texas chainsaw soundtrack <laughs> so uh it's, it was a great combo you had your own mini uh, barbie heimer kind of moment <laughs> barbie yeah, chainsaw I, I was trying massacre to think of the, 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 the text the texas no there's no like <laughs> you can't fit those two two phrases together it doesn't work as well no, no but you've, you've got that you'll always have that release thing of like oh we're releasing these two the luminous pink <laughs> vinyl from barbie and then yeah I, I had to take a screen grab when I had the, the, the featured releases and it's got the beautiful pink barbie one and then the like blood and chainsaw colored one for, for my one <laughs> it's my two personalities <laughs> yeah <laughs> Um, so I mean, yeah, that's that's kind of came to the the end of the sort of questions I had for yourself, Ross. I'm not sure if there's anything yeah. you would like to talk about. I know you probably want to go and feed your cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they'll be very angry. Um, no, no, I'm fine. I think um, uh, I would just say if, if anybody has any any questions, I'm, I'm very easy to find on on social media and stuff. I'm, I'm quite sort of I, I love chatting to people about the music on on Twitter and Facebook and things. So. If you've got any questions, just come find me and I'll 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 chat. And um, I also on my uh, YouTube channel, I I I spin a little slow while I've been getting text chainsaw out the door, but uh, I try to do as many sort of music and sound design tutorials as possible to help other people out. And there's also I've done a lot of videos at helping people get into the 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 industry as composers. So if if you've 
feel like you, you'd like to be writing for games but you don't really know where to start then just check out my um, youtube channel and you might be able to find some information that'll help you get through those those confusing first steps because there is a sequence of things you can do that will give you give people a, a lot better chance so um yeah uh, come find me watch my videos and um yeah, do do game music <laughs> Excellent. I mean, I'll put all your um, social media and YouTube links in the episode description so people can find them there. Um, Twitter or X or whatever it's going to be called by the time this comes Whatever it is this week. But yeah, um, yeah, it's been a a pleasure chatting, Ross. Thank you very much for for your time and and your insight. It's been really fascinating. And yeah, I hope the continued success of Everything's Coming, obviously, Hopefully, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you're not going to have any issues with and people continuing to enjoy it for a a long time to come. Uh, Thank you very much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'd once again like to thank Ross for taking time out of his schedule to chat to myself for the podcast. As always, Beats and Bleeps will be back in another week with another new episode. If you'd like to find out more about the podcast or myself, you can follow us on Twitter or X or whatever it's decided to be called this week at Beats Bleeps Pod. The link will also be in the episode description. You can also follow us on various other social medias that will be linked from there. I'd like to thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a wonderful day.